Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with Lou Weiss, my co-host and also sponsor of Manufacturing Talk Radio through his company, All Metals and Forge Group, which is a manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless roll rings for the industrial world. And he is going to be keenly interested in the topic today because we're going to be talking with Vincent Scott, who is the founder and CEO of Defense uh, Cybersecurity Group. We're going to be talking about cybersecurity for the manufacturing industry. There are some new regulations coming out. Obviously, we have all kinds of cyber attacks going on all the time. Um, China is probably the leader. Look, everybody's hacking everybody, so everybody's got to protect themselves. So, Lou, this is going to be a very interesting discussion. You've been on top of this for, oh gosh, probably two to three years now in the NIST world and 25 years in the ISO certification that your company holds. Correct, correct. Um, and uh, the uh, NIST 800-171, I believe, is now into the fifth year um, of uh trying to get cyber uh, security nailed down, but uh, the government has been preoccupied with all kinds of other things and they really haven't um, uh, promoted it uh, well, I think. Uh, and uh, Vincent, I'm gonna have you give us some history uh, about NIST and why we're first really now beginning to get there. So uh, Vincent, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks, Lou, Tim. Uh, very glad to be here. Uh, I, I absolutely love uh, talking to uh, particularly small and medium-sized manufacturers in the United States. Uh, I think they're, they're critical to our country's success, and and we need to protect those companies. And, and unfortunately, cyber has become a huge part of the attack surface for those companies. There's nothing I hate more than seeing a company go out of business because they were they were hacked, they had their intellectual property stolen, um, or you know, they had the next payroll stolen and they just cannot make it there from here and, and end up shutting their doors and putting you know good good people on the street who, who didn't do anything wrong, just had somebody steal their stuff. So, so some background on the, the U.S. government side of um, uh, NIST 800-171 and cybersecurity. Uh, we really have been talking about this for a long time. Uh, but as you said, Lou, about five years ago, we came out with uh, DFAR 7012, Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation 7012, that essentially said, thou shalt be compliant with NIST 800-171. NIST 800-171 is, is a set of 110 security controls for businesses. Uh, and really what they wanted to do was set a baseline for the defense industrial base at, across the board. The That was supposed to be final after an implementation period as of 1 January 2018. And uh, really there was a little bit of flurry about this in 2017. Uh, 1 January 2018 came and went and, and really in my view what there hasn't been any of is there was no accountability for this standard, right? So as companies looked at this and said, does my client care? Does my customer care whether or not I'm doing this? Are they asking me any questions about this? And the answer was no. Uh, it, it dropped on their priority list and it just was not something that we were, we were spending very much time on. Uh, and it, it takes work to do these controls, right? Cybersecurity, I like to talk about, it's not something you have, it's something you have to do. 
right? So it's an operation. It needs to be in a part of your business operations. And whether you do it or you outsource it, and a lot of things in businesses today, right? We, we outsource HR, we outsource payroll. We're, there's all kinds of niche providers who do specific things for us. And they do that at scale and they do that at a lower price, which is really great. Um, whether you do it in-house or you outsource, it needs to be done as a, as a continuing thing. And so cybersecurity is very much the same way. Um, I, well, it was 2013, I had I was uh, uh, with a major manufacturer, a Fortune 50 company in the United States. Uh, one of their senior uh, financial uh, directors said, so we invested in cyber last year, when are we gonna be done? And I was like, mm, well, never. <laughs> uh, because unless you know until the internet dies because the, unfortunately this is just something that we're going to have to keep keep doing over time and it, it also changes right what, what needs to be done changes as the the nature of the internet changes as the way companies do business on the internet changes and as the uh, attackers and adversaries change their their mechanisms based on the defenses that we've done right so it, it's very much a continuous thing uh, we, uh, as uh, All Metals and Forge, and uh, Tim mentioned it a few minutes ago, might have been pre-show, uh, that All Metals and Forge Group has been uh, a dedicated ISO and AS9100 uh, approved uh, registered uh, vendor for the last uh, 27 years, I think it is. And... Uh, I've asked the question of some of the cyber uh, NIST experts as to whether or not uh, the a fully matured ISO program, if that helps uh, companies, manufacturers, if you will, uh, to be able to make a transition and, and modify uh, their ISO program so that they can easily, uh, quicker, cheaper, to become NIST uh, 800-171 uh, certified registered or whatever the terminology is. Uh, can you uh, address that, uh, Vincent? Yeah, sure. I think any company that has a mature ISO program, and I think program is the key word, Lou, we need to think about this as a program. Right, so a program is something you continue to do. It's not something you did once and you put it on a shelf and then you come back to it in three years. Program is something you have that continues in your company. Um, I, I think it absolutely helps, and I think including that the cyber piece as a part of your overall program for compliance is, is critical. Uh, you got to think about it as something you do all the time, and having those programs in place uh, absolutely helps. Now, from a controls perspective there are probably different and additional things that need to be done and need to be added to that program now in order to meet the standards. Okay, uh, Tim? Vincent, what I guess what's happening at this point, and one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show because we're all about manufacturing, Lou and I have been covering it, we're now in our eighth year, is that the government the Department of Defense is coming out with some new regulations that are going to seriously impact manufacturing. It's not a suggestion anymore. It's you need to get on board because you'll be in 
not just trouble with the government, but you'd be in trouble operating your business without this. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the, let, let, that's, let's dig in then to what the new regulation is all about, right? So in November of last year, 2020, three new DFAR rules relative to cyber hit the street. So you have the existing rule, DFAR 7012, which says do NIST 800-171 for controlled unclassified information. And, and that's a, you know, it, it's also a subset of that is controlled technical information, which also de- a, a lot of times touches manufacturers, right? Technical information with military uh, space uh, applications. But the NIST, the, the new rules, 7019, 7020, and 7021 actually cover what I think of as two things. The first thing is the DOD has come in and said, tell me how you're doing against your NIST 800-171 homework, right? So we, we in the history part, we covered that this was supposed to be fully implemented by 1 January 2018, three years ago. You were supposed to be 110 out of 110 on NIST 800-171, if it applies to you. Okay, tell me how you're doing on that. It's really what 7019 until 7020 said. And here's how I want you to tell that to me. The Defense Contract Management Agency has developed a method for scoring you, and they use this right now today. If you get a DCMA inspection on cyber, and they only do 100 or so a year, so the probability that you've actually seen these guys is vanishingly small. Once every two millennial millennium, they'll get to every company in the dip, right? R- literally, I did the math on this. It's once every 2,000 years. So <laughs> they, you probably haven't seen these guys, but they do have a methodology. It's posted on the internet, and it says, score yourself like this, and it has weighted scoring against the different controls. Some are more important than others. Um, and it's complex and it was made by the government. So you might need to ask for some advice on how you do it, but it's not intuitive. But score yourself and tell me what your score is. That's the basic self-assessment, right? This is go out there and just tell me what you're doing today and tell me how you're doing against this versus this scoring methodology and send me your score and send me when you're going to be 110 out of 110. Don't send me all your documentation. Don't send me your program. Just how you doing on your homework? You were supposed to be done three years ago. Please tell me when you think you will be done. That, that's all that is. That's the basic self-assessment. Then they added 7021. The future is going to be the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, CMMC, if, uh, you, Lou, you mentioned ISO and others, many people do CMMI, right? Uh, cyber, uh, boy, that's another Carnegie Mellon. I forget what CMMI breaks out to, but it is another standard primarily around software development that has been spread out to all companies. And if you, you contract with the DOD, they sometimes put in there, if you're CMMI certified, you get more points towards an award, right? So there, it, it, it is used in the DOD space, but not everybody uses it. So it's, CMMC is based on that. It's similar to that program. It's also a maturity model. And over the next four years now, so this is the first year of the five-year implementation, 
they're rolling this out to more and more contracts as time goes on. So the DOD has said, I'm going to add it to new contracts. And at contract award, you will need to be CMMC certified. That means somebody from the outside has got to come in and go, just like CMMI or ISO or any of these others, has to come in and say, yep, they're doing it. And they're doing it at maturity level X, one through five, right? Now, in order to be maturity level three, you have to be doing everything in maturity level three, two, and one in order to get a three standard. So if you're missing one level two control, you only end up with a level one cert out of that because that's the highest level where you have everything done, right? So, so there's a lot of pressure to get this right if you're going for a CMMC level three or even a level one, right? You, you need to have an up check on all the controls that are required or you're not going to get certified at that level. It's not like 80% is good, right? So that's coming and that's going to be due at award in the future. Uh, this year, it's only supposed to be up to 15 major contracts of which 10 have already been announced. Uh, some of them are pretty small. Uh, WIC for dependents overseas for the Army is one. I, I think that's probably the smallest one I saw. Uh, F-18 support from the Navy is one of the bigger ones, right? So that could impact a bunch of companies that do manufacturing stuff or that may be in the aircraft space that support the F-18 program. And, and what's going to roll out of that is they're going to say, hey, before you're put on the new contract or the contract renewal, you're going to need to be CMMC certified. Vincent, does that mean the tier one, tier two, and tier three all have to be certified? Yes. So to the ultimate Ooh. tiered sub is what they've said. And it, the, what the rule says is primes, you have to pass it down to your subs. Subs, you have to pass it down further. For anything related to that program that's not cuts, you have to pass down that clause. Now, the caveat in there is if they say the prime needs to be CMMC level three, they could decide that on some of their subcontracts, only level one is required or level two. I don't see anybody doing that, but you generally just going to be one, three, or five is where you're going to land on requirements. So as a small, right, you know, having a, a prime contractor that says, hey, I'm going to handle the controlled unclassified information at my level. You just need to have the basic certification to be in the DIV, and I will task you to do things that need to be done, manufacture parts, make a bolt for me, uh, you know, do this panel with holes here, whatever that is, but you only have to be level one for that. Now, we haven't seen that occur yet. We don't know how that's going to happen. Uh, the primes really have to understand their business if they're going to do it that way. It's a lot easier for contracting officers to just say, yeah, make them do all of everything, which we see a lot in government contracting, right? We see that from the government. We see that from the primes. Yeah, uh, we'll just paint it. You know, I'm the contracting officer. I want to be sure. So let's put every requirement that exists on the contract just in case. Uh, that's going to be that's going to be a tough burden um, out there, and I think that's going to make for a lot of interesting conversations. And does that sorry, Lou? Does that mean, Vincent, that we're talking about people involved in any DOD contract, whether you make an ashtray or 
you put together food for the astronauts or whatever? Yep. What the Ooh. DOD ANSCISO has said, it, Katie Arrington, if you mow the lawn at a DOD facility, you're going to need to be level one. <laughs> That's a quote. Wow. Blue? Yeah, well, I, actually, I, I've got, even though Tim and I have been doing this for a while, especially with uh, the, since the NIST came out, or that we got involved with it two years ago, I still have a lot of questions. Now, one of the things, uh, and we had a, a bit of a, a pre-show uh, conversation with you, and there's some misunderstandings on uh, certain things. Uh, my understanding is that not only is the DOD involved in this, but if I'm not mistaken, isn't the Department of Energy also uh, part of this uh, process? Um, not officially yet. So what we have seen is GSA has included CMMC language in some solicitations. STARS-3 comes to mind. I think there's a couple other big GSA contracts that have said in the RFP language, tell me how you're going to be CMMC certified. Not you have to be yet, but tell me what your plan is as a part of your RFP response. That's GSA. Uh, there's been discussion, rumor, uh, innuendo that DOE may adopt this. Uh, NASA, uh, DHS have all had some level of conversation about we're closely examining CMMC, we're continuing to considering going this route in the future, etc. I have not seen any agency yet from like an official agency source press release come out and say, yeah, we're planning to implement CMMC on our contracts in 2026 or something, whatever. Okay, uh, the other uh, point that uh, we were talking about was the, the misunderstanding about uh, level one. Uh, my understanding from several people that we had spoken to that level one is a self-assessment and we don't need to get the auditors, we don't need to get the government involved uh, and that all we need to do is uh, make sure that we have some level of uh, cybersecurity within our uh, operation, and therefore we say, we're level one. Um, and according to our previous conversation, that's not true. That, 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 that is not true, right? So I, 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 there's a number of press releases, there's some, I've seen blog posts and you know some videos and things where we've conflated basic self-assessment and level one. And, and those two things are different. Level one is a CMMC thing, cybersecurity maturity model certification. It requires an independent third party assessment in order to get a level one certification. Self-assessment is against the, the current NIST 7012 and DFAR 7019 and 7020, which now say, turn your homework in as we discussed. In that, you have to basic self-assess. And you don't have to have 110 out of 110 done. That's not a requirement. Uh, in fact, the way that scoring mechanism goes, goes it goes from negative 206 to 110. So you can actually have, I've seen a number of companies with negative scores that they've turned into the government, right? And said, yeah, I'm less than zero on this. Um, and and, and that, that makes you compliant. There's no minimum score 
on the basic self-assessment. Essentially, you could say, I'm negative 206. I haven't done anything. I have a system security plan that says almost nothing. Uh, I have a plan of actions and milestones to do everything by 2050. And you'd technically be compliant. I don't recommend that approach, but technically that would be compliant outside the CMMC arena. Now, what, what is also happening with that basic self-assessment piece is um, who has to turn their homework in? So the ways the rules are written, if they, you only have to turn your homework in if you hold controlled unclassified information. Well, wait a minute, what's controlled unclassified information? Well, has the DOD been marking it? Well, no, they, they have marked almost nothing. Does my contracting officer know what controlled and classified information is? No, probably not. I, I've had, literally in the last uh, six months now, I, I had two conversations with government contracting uh, officers and said, hey, we're working hard to do our CUI thing and we wanted to work with you on what, what CUI and I want to make sure I got it right. And they were like, what's CUI? Oh, well, that's going to be real hard to know if I have some or I have to protect it special if you, the government person, can't even tell me what you have that is CUI, right? But you are seeing that that checkbox mentality, which says, okay, now everybody has to turn their homework in. So government contracting officers are turning around to primes and saying, you know, you and all your subs have to have your homework turned in, regardless of whether or not you really hold CUI. Um, you know, so if I'm mom and pop's flower shops and I sell flowers to, you know, the Air Force, do I have to have CUI and do I have to turn my homework in? No, that, that sounds pretty silly. But I've seen some pretty silly ones be forced to turn their homework in in order to be able to get their next purchase order from the Air Force. Um, okay. Uh, so, so that's for small manufacturers, particularly if you think you're doing COT stuff, that's a, in my view, a landmine you need to be aware of. You should be prepared to submit your basic self assessment. And don't try to say, well, I don't think it applies to me because you know how well that goes when you're wor working with government contractors or primes. Uh, you're probably not going to win that argument. It's just easier to do your self-assessment and turn your homework in. Uh, Vincent, I, I have uh, two points that I, I'd like to be able to uh, hash out and throw around for a few minutes. Uh, we're coming up near the end of our segment, but nonetheless, we, we can go over time because I'd really like to get the point out. Um, I am a manufacturer. Uh, right now, uh, we sell uh, government to right now at a minimal level. And I, I'm a manufacturer and, uh, you know, I'm hearing this show and it's like, wow, um, that's a good way for me to start getting more business by me becoming compliant with uh, NIST and all the other uh, silly stuff that you talked about. So what's the first thing that I should do as a manufacturer to get the ball rolling? That's question one. Question two, and to a marketing person uh, or a company that's involved, heavily involved in marketing, um, knowing the government as we all do, is the government going to create a database so that manufacturers can go and look and say, okay, I need somebody who's going to do heat treating for me. And I need to know if they are compliant with uh, NIST 171. 
or do I have to go and search and ask all the questions? Or is the government going to put out a network database of approved uh, vendors who are uh, operating uh, correctly under these uh, requirements? Right, so uh, I'll, I'll take those in order. The first thing, what do, what do I need to do first? Uh, I think you need to do your basic self-assessment, right? Uh, the second thing right in or right along with that is decide for my business, for my contracts, do I think I have controlled and classified information today? And do I, will I need it to operate in the future? That's, that's a hard one. Uh, I recommend getting advice and, and counsel and help on that. Uh, what is controlled and classified information? As I said, even a lot of times the government doesn't know, although there are good resources out there. And, and maybe surprise, it was a surprise to me, DOD isn't running that. NARA runs that. The National Administration, uh, Archives and Records Administration is in charge of what is CUI for the federal government. So there's actually, if you go NARA, N-A-R-A, CUI in Google, it'll come up with their homepage for it. It has uh, a pretty good outline of what all the CUI categories are and what their definitions are. And if you don't think that's enough of a definition, uh, I hear you, but that is all the definition there is. I mean, it's all out there on the internet on the NARA CUI page. Go look at that and determine, hey, for my contracts, do I think I'm going to have to have CUI? And if the answer is no, think level one. I'm going to have to do those 17 basic controls. If I have a negative score for NIST 800-171, that's okay because I really don't have CUI. If I do need to have it, then I need to think level CMMC level three. Uh, and that then is NIST 800-171 plus what, what we call the Delta 20 controls and other 20 controls on the top of that, plus a massive, in my view, documentation requirement. Uh, and as you look at aircraft manufacturing and some of the stuff that goes in parts control and all of that, start thinking that level of documentation from a cybersecurity perspective to really have a fully documented, fully controlled environment where you control CUI. And so that documentation requirement should not be underestimated, right? So that's that's the first thing you should do. Basic self-assessment, decide whether or not you need to have CUI. Second, um, for the database, the government has a database for their use today, the Supplier Performance Risk System or SBRS, and that's actually where you turn your homework in. I have not heard of them turn, making that public at all. Right now, all you can see in there is your own information. So if you have a cage code, you're in SPRS and you can see your own information in SPRS if you go through the process to get to that. I have not heard of them making a, a qualified vendors database that's open to the public. So all in all, it's a tedious, expensive, long drawn out process that may or may not work for some companies who are looking to get involved with the government, but certainly if you are involved with the government presently, you will have to have this. That's correct. You will have to have this if you want to continue to sell through to the Department of Defense. And uh, there's been a lot of talk about driving companies out of the dip, um, particularly manufacturing companies that do commercial and then some government stuff, right? That becomes a tough conversation for them. What I hope to see over time, and, and, I, and I think we will, but it's not there yet today, 
are companies that are service providers for this, where you can buy three compliant laptops for your company, Lou, that cover CUI. And then you can say, if I get CUI, I'm only going to get them on those three laptops and I'm going to handle it there. And it's an enclave and you buy those. And those are, uh, you know, from a managed service provider. So they provide the laptop, they provide the back end, they provide all the configuration management and patching and all that. They do all that stuff for you. Those are expensive laptops, right? You know, maybe they cost you a thousand bucks a month laptops, but I got to have it to have this million dollar manufacturing contract. So it's something I do. Um, those, those really compliant options are out there yet today. And, and one of the things, points I've been making on all my uh, appearances is if someone comes to you and says, I can make you CMMC compliant in 30 days, run screaming from the room. <laughs> They're not being truthful with you. That right. is marketing BS. There isn't a company out there that can do that. In, and if you're thinking CMMC level three, you should have a year-long implementation program. You can't do it in less than six months, I don't think. I, it, so, and the more you give yourself time and road, road, uh, runway, probably the less it's going to cost you. If you want it bad, you get it bad. If you try to cram it all in a very short period of time, it becomes very, very expensive, right? Hey, let's let's roll this out over 18 months. I can use more internal assets part-time, blah, blah, blah. But if you shorten your time window and then all of a sudden now for this brand new $10 million contract you've been working two years for, you find out, hey, I've got to have a certification before award and you're scrambling, uh, you can't get it done in 30 days. Not possible. So so plan ahead is a key element. Of well, I think part of planning it ahead, Vincent, is it's uh time for you to tell us where people who are listening to our show can reach out to you. And uh, like I said earlier, we, Tim and I have done a lot of these uh, conversations and um, we've been misled about certain things in the past. Uh, everything that you said uh, really sounds uh, complete, thorough and accurate. So why don't you give us your uh, website, your URL, your e email, if you wish, so that our people can, uh, our audience can get in touch with you directly. And, and, and my company is really small. Uh, so uh, getting in touch with me directly, if you use the contact on my website, you'll come right to me. Uh, my company is Defense Cybersecurity Group. Uh, I often call it DCG. If you Google search on that, we'll come up. My website is www.cybersecgru.com, CyberSecGru. Uh, in my old Navy days, SecGru was the Navy Cryptologic uh, Command, and so I've, I've done a little play on that that, that most folks who aren't prior <laughs> old Navy cryptologists don't get. But uh, www.cybersecgru.com, and on there is a contact button. Uh, contact at cybersecgru.com comes right to me. Okay. Wow, this is great, Vincent. I really appreciate you taking your time to share with uh, the manufacturers who are going to be watching this. So they understand if they mow the lawn at a DOD facility, they're going to need to be compliant. Important for them to know. Thank you, Vincent, for your time. Tim, Lou, thanks much for having me on. Thank you for being on with us. And this show will be posted at mfgtalkradio.com. You can also get there from 
uh, the website Jacket Media Co. JacketMediaCo.com, where you'll see all of our other podcasts posted. And we appreciate you taking your time to listen to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.